The Yuletide TV podcast is hosted by three college friends trying to find the best Christmas TV episodes ever made. That quest can, at times, be frustrating, which is a nice way of saying that this show contains explicit content. We know that might get us placed on the naughty list, but better us than you. What is going on with that wreath? Where'd you guys get that, at a gas station? They were selling wreaths and Christmas trees at the Target. Well, let me tell you something, man. That is a substandard wreath. I'm making my own. I've already picked out the holly stalks. I'm drying the orange slices. I'm telling you right now, it's going to be like a botanical centrifuge. It's going to be awesome. Hello, and welcome to the Yuletide TV Podcast. The podcast where we try and find the best Christmas TV shows and episodes ever made. I'm Brian, and with me, as always, are the co-host, John. Oh, hi. Hello. And Christopher. Hello. How are you guys doing today? It's a spooky Monday, December the 13th. (laughs) Monday the 13th. I do love the Monday the 13th movies. Yeah, the Monday the 13th movies are great. I love how everybody wakes up on a Friday the 13th and like, ooh, it's going to be super scary. But I feel like more people should wake up on a Monday the 13th with that like paranoia. The whole week's going to go to shit. Right, not the not the like say it out loud or like ooh, it's Monday the thirteenth, but that just the feeling when you wake up and you're like, fuck. <laughs> Do you guys think Garfield especially hates Monday the thirteenth more so than yeah, regular I, Mondays? I think he hates Monday the thirteenth more than he hates vegan lasagna. <laughs> Does he hate vegan lasagna? I would have to I'd imagine so. so. Yeah. Uh. Well, I suppose he is a cat. Like, I can't imagine what lasagna does to a cat. Now, imagine what vegan lasagna does to a cat. Do you think Jason Voorhees has a lot of paperwork from his boss on Monday the 13th? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think there's a lot of of TPS reports that suddenly need to get filled out. (laughs) Listen, Jason, I know this was supposed to be your week for murders, but we just really got to get these extensions filed. And someone's got to take care of it. <laughs> this is what you're going to spend your whole week on, on top of your other responsibilities. I just need you to be a team player. You know, be a little more like Michael. <laughs> it is weird that the Friday the 13th is especially ominous, because, like, Fridays are always like, yay, Friday. Mondays always suck. So you think, like, the Monday the 13th would be like, oh, this week is about to be exceptionally bad. Right. I think Friday the 13th was actually a ploy to get people uh, more guilty. And I think this ploy was created by the Catholic Church. There I said it. I'm going to be I'm going to need you to unpack that like a little. A little bit. Yeah. The Pope saw how happy everybody was going into the weekend and thought, oh, Friday surely is the most sinful day because it is the release from the week. So then they created this myth that on the 13th of the Friday, that Hmm. was going to be when things went bad. So then people kind of like reeled it in a bit. Their superstitions got the best of them and said, oh, I'm not going to go out on 13th, you know, (laughs) because I don't want bad things to happen to me. And the Pope was like, yes, yes, we've begun. And then we kind of capitalized it as this fun, like spooky thing. You know, it's this like holiday that's not a holiday. And that's why the Catholic Church has declined. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. It's less in the grip. Do we think Friday is the most sinful day? No, that's what the Pope thought. I know. I'm just I'm I'm extrapolating that question like 
if you guys had to pick a most sinful day of the week, what would your most sinful day of the week be? I think 90% of benders start on Friday. <laughs> yeah, yeah, 100 Well, unless you're in college, because then it starts on Thursday. Well, you just get done with your, like, dog shit week of, like, making other people more money than you'll ever see. And then you just are, like, cre- gripping with the mortality yeah. that you're going to do this with the rest of your life. Right. So, yeah, Friday's, right. like, the day you get to shrug that yoke. And then, boom, stabbing, man. Every Monday is the worst Monday of your life. Only You only get murdered rarely. The the day of Friday, too, especially leads up to it. Because you're just at work and you think, I just want to get fucking out of here. I just want to fucking get out of here. I just want to fucking get out of here. And then you're out of there and you're like, yeah! And you're like a kid in a candy corn store. You're just like eating everything. Not realizing you're going to get diabetes later. <laughs> but, Chris, if we're talking about technically the most sinful day of the week for me i think is sunday just because i haven't gone to church in a number of years <laughs> I, yeah i guess I'm if, we're, just if we're gonna put it in that box then sunday by far i'm just yeah i'm just thinking like this has got me thinking in a whole nother lane of like you know in heaven there's probably someone keeping these stats like you know how we keep stats like most car accidents occur on a tuesday now i just made that up spent on playstation yeah well yeah it's just like there's some uh pencil pusher up in the great beyond who's like yeah most sins happen on uh thursday uh it's a weird one it's usually like thursday right around noon for some reason i don't know but that's when we see a spike that would certainly be a presentation given on a Friday, let me tell I you. I like big time <laughs> sins probably happen on weekdays because it's hard to adulter on a weekend. And like, you know, I feel like that's – and if when you got your crimes of passion, when you're jerking off Frenchmen, it's going to be on a Tuesday. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's the only time you can pencil that in. Yeah. Well, speaking of jerking off Frenchmen, do you guys want to talk about our episode this this fine day? I can't wait. To get into the holiday spirit from here, yes. <laughs> I don't understand your sarcasm, Chris. What is more, what is more festivist than hand jobs and Frenchmen? I don't understand this francophobia, Chris. I thought this was a podcast for everybody, right? I mean, and everybody needs to get jo'd sometimes. <laughs> I mean, the more we say that, the less this becomes a podcast for everyone, I think. <laughs> we the disclaimer at the top. Yeah. We, we only needed to get yelled at once to be like, stop letting your kids listen to us. <laughs> <laughs> it's not what it's for. Well, getting into it, uh, to kick this week off on the podcast, uh, this is significant other week for those who did not follow along with our draft picks. Which is simply to say our significant others pick these episodes. This is why my wife is going to be slightly involved. April has chosen Season 1, Episode 6 of Divorce. And this episode is simply titled Christmas. And it stars Sarah Jessica Parker and Thomas Hayden Church. The episode also has a delightful guest or two this weekend in the form of Robert Forster and Dorothy Lehman. Lyman? Lyman. As uh, SJP's parents. This episode originally aired on November 13th, 2016, and is available on HBO Max if you'd like to watch it with your significant other. If you don't, here's a little bit of what happened. 
It's Christmas time in the newly separated Dufresne household, and Robert wants to spend time with the whole family, despite how his wife bangs some French douchebag 22 times leading up to their divorce. Frances is reluctant to bring Robert along to her parents, and she hasn't told them her and Robert are getting a divorce yet. At Frances' parents' Christmas Eve party, Robert begins giving a toast to honesty, which Frances believes will be the big admission about their divorce. Frances cuts in and gives everyone at the party the news herself. After the party when talking to her parents about it, Robert steps in and tells everyone that he was the one who had the affair. Some reconciliation happens between the whole family on Christmas Day, and finally, while driving away, Francis and Robert talk about what really happened in front of their two kids, not knowing their son Tom isn't really listening to anything, and here's the whole bit about his mom being the real cheater. So what did we think about this one, boys? It's a good episode. Not pleasant, but it's good. It is a pleasant surprise. Yeah. Going in not knowing what to expect from the show, again, other than mm-hmm. remembering it existed. Yeah. And thinking it was more of a dramedy, which I guess it is, but I definitely found myself laughing at this one a lot more than I was expecting to. Yeah, it's uh, Sarah Jessica Parker does a really great job of being awkward, which is, I assume, how she is somewhat in real life. And she's really trying to... It's fun watching her try to compete with Thomas Hayden Church's character's charisma in the show. And I think in that... I bet you that's also why... Like, let's just start talking about divorce and cheating right off the top of the podcast. No, um... I bet you in her, I bet you in that character's mind, the comparison is to a degree what drove her to the position that she ended up having with her affair while also feeling that, to John's point, before we started talking, Thomas Hayden Church is kind of hard to love, or at least his character is. It's a hyper, hyper successful business boy, man. He's got a lot of confidence. Oh, he isn't? Well, he's a pretend hyper successful business boy, which makes him harder to love than if he was just a normal successful business boy. Because I could be unhappy to be rich. Like, I will i don't have to love someone if they're rich. I don't care. <laughs> but if they're just pretend rich, who the fuck? What, is, what am I even, yeah, what am I even the there point? for? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think over the, like, because April and I watched this whole series and you really kind of get the, the, the first season is all about that initial separation and like why it happened. And you can see how, you know, the other's negative qualities had affected the marriage to the point of divorce. And you definitely see Robert Hayden Church's charisma come through in this one-off, but that seems very much like a facade and very fake uh, in certain moments throughout the rest of the, the the series, or at least the season. So you can kind of see how that would wane and wear down a person. See, I didn't find him charming. Like, I found him to be like, like, everyone has met that dude that's like, somewhere like in your family like down the line at some function like some level where it's like it's kind of like fun to talk to for 20 minutes but like man he runs out of stuff to actually talk about immediately right because like when he's doing that the little quip where it's like well that's what i was like that's the first rule business and the second rule is follow it until you're rich and it's like 
You would have been like, oh, that's like a funny bit line, but also fuck you, dude. <laughs> well, it's it's fun because it takes a, when you meet that person, it takes you a minute to figure out who that person is, and then realize that you know you kind of realize their personality is like, all right, this person knows some one-liners, and they're kind of fun to talk to, and then you realize that person is all one-liners. Yeah, and it's all just it's 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 essentially Joe Rogan platitudes. <laughs> Yeah, I just didn't, I like, I found him to, like, he's nice, like, he's a nice person, I think, inherently, or maybe, like, like self-serving, but, like, nice, but doesn't know how to actually interact with anyone beyond just, like, the scope of being, like, the definition of a toxic male. Yeah. So, like, I've, like, I immediately gathered that from his character. I think he can, I think he did a really good job of understanding the assignment and, like, carried the show for me, because Lord, Lord knows SJP ain't doing doing shit but the same character till she dies so <laughs> so it's like at least he was like you know you understood why she cheated like you get it like it, yeah. it was shown to you you don't need it like told like yeah really. maybe not with jermaine Clement, but whatever my my favorite moment that april and i both laughed at I think our favorite moment in this whole show, which is a moment I hope to replicate at some point in our marriage with our children down the line, is when they're driving out to her parents' house for the first time. And uh, Sarah Jessica Parker's like, listen, we should probably have a, like, I don't know how we're going to have a conversation with the kids about how to not talk about the divorce. And then Thomas Hager's like, oh, no, I can figure it out. I got this. Hold on. Hey, kids. Hey, kids. Your mom's got something important she wants to talk to you about. <laughs> she just throws her immediately under the bus. that was such a that was such a fun moment yeah i mean going back to what you were saying john about like you didn't find his character charming but i was charmed by thomas hayden church who i will admit i did not have very strong feelings about as an actor one way or the other like i'd seen sideways i've seen spider-man 3 i've probably seen him in a handful of other kind of bit roles but this was like damn like, I, I think you said charisma. Like, yeah, like, this is not a word I would have attributed to Thomas Hayden Church before seeing this performance. Because he, he really does steal the show overall in a way that is surprising and enjoyable, even if his character has some of these toxic behaviors that you guys were mentioning. Maybe charisma is not the right word. Because you think of someone with charisma and they're... There's something appealing to them. I think there's more of a magnetism, maybe, where you can really just kind of, like, hold the attention of the room. I always describe, like, charisma or, like, especially in an entertainment sense, where it's, like, if you were to see this person in the wild, would you want to keep seeing what they were doing? Yes. Like, if you were in an airport and Thomas Hayden Church was, like, picking his snack at the fucking Hudson News, would you want to see what he goes with? And, like, I think you he... You just miss points for not saying chilies. Oh, well, yeah, that's I, true. D- I mean, chili. If he's at the Chili's too, do you want to see what his order is going to be? Yeah, <laughs> like it's probably going to be a burger. Yeah, oh, it's a it's a burger and a domestic beer. It's a yeah. man's man. Look at it's that fucking mustache. Uh, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. I think, th- th- like, don't get me wrong. I like his personality, and you know, I think he's really got great timing with his script and everything like that. But in some level. He- Thomas Hayden Church will always remind me and have the same kind of qualities as Charlie uh, Hoonan, where it just always seems like they deliver the same tone and the same voice for everything. Oh, see, this is where I think he, like... He is so much better. 
Yeah, I, I think he, I don't know, <laughs> he, I get what you're saying, and I would agree with you for most of his other performances, but I thought there was just a little more energy in what Thomas Hayden Church was doing in this episode than anything else I've seen him. I think you see it kind of right off the bat, too, where he, like, comes, he's dropping the kids off, and he he's observing the house with the wreath, and he's like, where'd you get that wreath? Like, he is not going to stand station. for a subpar Christmas wreath <laughs> on his house. And it's like, yeah, like this, like that is what, like not having seen the show before that locks you into the character, like right away. Like that's like, Oh, okay. I like that's, that was what I was like, started to draw me in right away was those first kind of couple of lines where I'm like, okay, I'm inter Like I'm interested. I'm, I'm starting to, I want to know what else happens here. Talking about how to make a, a wreath and using the word centrifuge which just <laughs> as a person who will who will pepper big words and use them occasionally poorly just to do it to avoid having an actual conversation relatable content do you think he went on a fishing trip the year prior alone or were there people with him because that kind of caught me off guard. Like, why choose Christmas to go on a fishing trip? And who else can you wrangle in on that trip? And I'm like, where, would, where did yeah, you I'll go? Where did you I'll go fishing? Well, he, he caught that record-breaking co. So let's we can do the backwards math, man. <laughs> let's find their range. I, yeah, I guess. Talking about fish is what I wait for. Alaska. He went to Alaska. Or Russia. <laughs> he didn't go Probably to Alaska, Alaska on a fishing trip in... That doesn't... December. In December? There's like three hours of sunlight. Oh, actually, never mind. The Coho's range, a little bigger than initially anticipated. He could have also... He also Fish could expert have, John. He also could have been in all of Western... Like the West Coast of Canada and then really down down through California. So probably not oh. great Coho fishing, but... Where does this show take place, Brian? Like where are we geographically? Oh, it's upstate New York. Okay. Because this oh, yeah. was a very obvious... Like they were filming Christmas at not Christmas time yeah. episode of. Oh, it could have been a bad winter. I mean, yeah. at one point they are out in Sarah Jessica Parker's parents' backyard and they're like setting up an outdoor lunch. And I'm just like, yeah, no one's, right. no one's having lunch outside right. in upstate well, New York. Not to mention, in it's December. December and your pool is full. And that doesn't look like a heated pool. Yeah. And you certainly didn't winterize it. And I'm pretty sure you're still going to get a frost or an overnight <laughs> freeze. So what are you doing? Your pumps are going to be all fucked. It's really going to be fucked. a problem. You know. Pumps are just going to be fucked. <laughs> fucked, bud. Dude, Fuck, upstate but. upstate New York is getting is getting overplayed as a location. I'm done with upstate New York. I've canceled it. You have to go somewhere else. You can't. I don't know. I just don't think. I think upstate New York is just its own kind of character. I don't know that this could have taken place in anywhere else. I don't know. Every I see. Other. That's. I think that's what John's getting at, Brian. Is I don't think it has enough substance to. I think they were trying to position <laughs> it that way, and it just it just yeah. doesn't ring the same way true as as New York City does. You know, it's just, just yeah. it's nice, but I wouldn't give up the city for anything. You know. Yeah. I, you know. I just think. Uh, I think if you're going to have the girl from Sex in the City, you got to give us the city, you know? <laughs> the, the crowd would really appreciate it. I mean, especially if we're not having the sex in this episode where, yeah, you know, right. they're, they're just very we platonically sleeping in the same bed. Yeah, keeping yeah. their underwear. Yeah. Oh, oh, okay, hold on a second. Who goes to sleep on top of the covers? And then on top of that, what kind of sociopath wears his tie to bed? 
Was he wearing a tie? I missed that detail. I know he was yeah, wearing the second like... night. He was wearing a tie, and I think that he got a little too drunk. Yes, I believe yes. that is the implication. Right. Yeah. Which is what the next scene of them opening presents was with him just very hungover, <laughs> watching <laughs> the nightmare that is his daughter play with a new microphone, <laughs> which I am not excited for. As oh, that is the only way I buy father. gifts. The only way I buy gifts for children is what is the worst, the most detrimental gift I could give them to their parents. (laughs) You are never allowed to give my child any gifts. (laughs) You don't get to control that. Fuck. (laughs) You're gonna say no when a wrapped present arrives in Salt Lake? (laughs) (laughs) All right, kid, and we gotta. All right, kids, we gotta pass this one through the X-ray machine. You see a snare drum? No fucking way. (laughs) I'm sorry, kids. This package has anthrax. (laughs) Oh, no. Do you think anthrax is still enough of a scare to hide presents from John? (laughs) I I would be afraid of anthrax. Yeah, anthrax still seems pretty... I mean, I don't think it's very present as a threat, but I think you still wouldn't want any. I'm going to be real with you. I don't think it ever was. I think we, I, I think we. That's one of those things we have to grapple with, that we lived at a weird time. Well, I mean, oh, are you mean there was definitely about the post nine eleven fear? Yeah, I mean, it was a real fear. I mean, it was it got it happened to, once, it, <laughs> once it happened a couple times. I'm pretty sure it got sent to a couple yeah. different places. I mean, there was. But were those were those stories substantiated, Chris? Yes. Probably. I'm well, one sure. of them was the White House. The one I remember is like where they they found the anthrax letter at the White House. Oh yeah, and then the it got it got sent to Thirty Rock too. Like they had to yeah. like evacuate. Like they had to shut down SNL. That's that's why I remember. But everyone was reacting to it like it. We were all going to receive random. It's like don't open your letters. If you don't know who it's from, don't open your letter. This is also early internet stage enough where he's like great i'm not paying bills fuck this (laughs) real quick do you think do you think the terrorist that came up with that idea got like employee of the month or do you think he was laughed out of the room i mean he got close he got close to the most what if i have an idea what if we just take a little bit of this extreme sickness and we put it in an envelope and we send it to people they were like, that is the dumbest shit I've ever heard. I can't believe you think that would actually work. And then they see it shut down a I couple mean, very important and prominent buildings. Like, oh, fuck. Honestly, in terms of how much a terrorist has affected my life, he is not very high on the list. <laughs> okay. All the right. mother, The motherfucker who makes me take my shoes off every time I go on a flight, very high on the list. <laughs> people I hate. Fuck and, that guy. <laughs> like, that's, that's the one I hope is rotting in hell. <laughs> More than the rest of them. Uh, divorce. Oh, good times. <laughs> yeah, did you ever think that, you ever think we'd be going in this direction when we started this episode? You never know. That's the beauty. It's the beauty of the Post podcast. 11 America. Start talking about HBO, half hour shows. I think this should be the blurb at the top of the episode. Talking about anthrax? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do you think, uh, do you think this show needed to be longer or? No. 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 I think it's so, I think they, it, it's like a, it's like a British comedy series. They know they're gonna do like a tight five episodes and get out of there. It it succeeds in its efficiency, and I, again, I, mm-hmm. I feel like they even tried to pad it out a little bit with all these little short 
little cutaways to other characters that I presume are part of the show in a more intertwined basis. But I have at least three instances where I wrote, what the fuck, who are these people? Because you're really kind of in the groove of this Sarah Jessica Parker, Thomas Satan Church story that's being told. And then it's like, oh, by the way, these people are having dinner. And you're like, who gives a shit? Sure, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. I guess they are. The only reason I know anything about the show is because I started to look for plot summaries to try to figure out anything that was fucking going on after the phrase jack off a Frenchman was said. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty self-explanatory, John. I don't know what you, where you're getting lost there. Well, like, I just, it just, like, when you meet the characters with, like, no base, you're like, oh, they're getting divorced because he fucking is a tool. Like, he's a piece. Like, he's... He would be a hard man to be around your whole life. I would have enjoyed it more, though, if they had shown the clip of Jermaine Clemens getting punched in the dick after Thomas Hayden Church did a throwaway comment about her affair with Jermaine Clemens. Like, that would kind of, like, tie it together more. If we were looking at this episode as a a one-off in a bottle, then that would kind of connect things a little bit more if you hadn't seen the rest of the season leading up to that point. I think the internet and elder reviews with the show have such a hard time because it, it, it is good. And you can see the DNA of how it is good and like how it wants to be good. But it just like, will take like these like weird kind of choices sometimes where it's like, they're talking about him going fishing for Christmas. And that's like what you told his family to try to get him to not go to Christmas. And then he's like, no, I'm going. And then it's like, okay, (laughs) like there wasn't like a fight. They didn't expand on it. They were just like, and now they're in a car. Yeah, I wish they would have like gotten a little bit more into his regret. Like, so he talks about going on that fishing Mistakes trip was was a big mistake, and like you see him really trying to participate in this Christmas, like especially in the scene at the church. Like Sarah Jessica Parker is like giving him weird looks, which is also a a pretty good gag where. <laughs> Yeah, pleased to, to meet. Pleased to meet you. And I honestly did not realize that that was a gag until, like, she called him out on it. Like, I thought, yeah. like, I thought that's just what he was saying because he, um, I don't know. Like, I just thought he was being nice. Uh, and he's like at a church that isn't his church, so he's like introducing himself on Christmas and being like, yeah. "Oh, hey, pleased to meet pleased you. To meet pleased you. to meet you. Yeah. Hi. Pleased to meet you." And then it's like, no, he was just being ignorant (laughs) it it plays into his facade too of you know just kind of being that one-liner d-bag right hey pleased to meet you pleased to meet you pleased to meet you like he only knows how to be he only knows how to be his work character yeah Mm. so like when he's out of like a work setting where he's like marketing himself he struggles and he's like he comes across as very disingenuine because like the social moray shift let's talk about the christmasy of this episode well, how how did you feel like it came through? How prevalent did you feel the joy was in this episode? And how much was it overshadowed by divorce? Accurate and modern <laughs> is what <laughs> the Christmas of this episode was. Christmas is both inconvenient and uncomfortable. <laughs> so, highly yeah. correct. I mean, it's a pretty relatable Christmas atmosphere of, like, visiting family, going to church. I did not, as I previously mentioned i was really hoping we would get a two christmases 
type story nope. since it's divorced, but that did not happen. But that's okay. It was still pretty good. It does have this inexplicable thing that happens in a lot of Hallmark movies too, where it's like they seem to be having a Christmas party on Christmas Day that has a shitload of people attending, and I'm just like, who are like? Do you not have families? Do you not have other pla- like who's hosting a Christmas party on Christmas Day? that gets that kind of attendance that isn't family people people who live in cities that have a lot of people that are like not in their hometown (laughs) like that's that was relative that was like my experience last christmas was a large christmas party just because that was who people had access to Mm. yeah i wonder if it's just like an east coast thing and it's like (laughs) a neighborhood thing and you know, uh, I mean, this is an older couple, so maybe it was something from a forgotten time. Maybe it's a boomer thing, you know? No, wait. Yeah, boomers. Okay, boomer. Boomers? Okay, boomer. Okay, boomer. I was thinking more so. I like I liked Thomas Hayden Church's character because it's almost like a more self-aware Dick Whitman. You know, where he knows he's going to hate the first Christmas without his family. So why not just insert himself into that family <laughs> and try to have like one last Christmas together, even though they're separated? It's the catch 22. Yes, we're divorced. Yes, I'm still going to be here. But they hint they might not get divorced. Yeah, it was. Oh, coming. they do. <laughs> Brian. Spoiler, they do. Right. Well, good. <laughs> I'm glad they clearly <laughs> don't belong together, but. <laughs> The one thing that disturbed me about that Christmas party, too, was after they, after Thomas Hayden Church and Sarah Jessica Parker give their speeches and reveal that they are getting divorced and they seem to kill the mood of the entire party, that the next scene is the mom tossing away an entire bunt cake. (laughs) And I'm just like, why? Why did you do this? Puts cookies into Tupperware. Yeah, it's like a. It's a bun cake ruined by divorce. Yeah, it's painted. It's an infidelity bun cake. Nobody, nobody ate it, and it's what that cake is now bad. I, you you can't eat that cake tomorrow. I don't get it. It, it. Yeah, bun cake (laughs) makes great breakfast the next day. Incredibly wasteful. It as also who of the of Sarah Jessica Parker's parents cheated? Was it the dad? Yeah, that was a. I think both. I think what they're maybe trying to hint at is that it's just part of a relationship, which is weird. <laughs> East Coast, baby. It's a little April bleak. lived on the East Coast for like a whole six months, and apparently everybody, the only thing anybody ever talked about was cheating. Really? Oh. <laughs> no, not really, but oh. that apparently it came up a lot. <laughs> Brian, I have, I have one final question about this episode that is directly for you, and that is... Sweet. Have you modeled your facial hair after Thomas Hayden Church in this show? Because you and, and please be honest. Please be honest with us. No, I've modeled my facial hair after my father, Jim Curran. And I think Thomas Hayden Church's mustache, while fine, is a little too wispy. No. It's a little I don't think it's wis it's I don't know that wispy is the right word. It's a little unkept at the edges i think yeah it definitely goes far it's not it is not neatly squarely trimmed it is a little a little looser than that how did you guys feel about the big like little little moment there the important part of the episode where he takes the fall for infidelity 
I felt conflicted because I think on the one hand, like, I think part of what his thought process was is like, these people can hate me because I'm never going to see them again. And they will continue to interact with her so I can, like, I don't, like, we're getting divorced one way or the other. So I might as well sour the relationship that is not going to exist moving forward rather than having her have this hang over her head. Um, but I do also think he was doing that somewhat more for himself than he was really doing it to for her. I think I disagree. I think it was a little bit for her. I think there was kind of a like, listen, I know we're getting divorced and we don't work together, but you know, I still love you, you know, in certain you know, different ways that maybe we got married and I'm happy, not happy, but, you know, I'll take this grenade for you so you can kind of, like Chris was saying, keep your relationship with your parents intact. What a what a nuanced moment from a show that the internet hates. <laughs> 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 this show should have just came out in 2021 when we were all more prepared to be sad. This It was just filmed when we had too much hope. <laughs> I mean, it came out in 2016. I don't think we had a lot of hope at that time. <laughs> no, but we did. What it was. We did. We had not quite grasped how bad it would be. That is true. We could go <laughs> deeper into the crevasse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a whole trench below us. <laughs> All right. Well, and, and on that positive note, <laughs> you guys want to give this some ratings? I would love to. All right, who would like to go first? Fuck it. It's I'll go I'll go classic. I'm I'm tired of watching the same Christmas show <laughs> <laughs> with different characters. So it was refreshing to get a different concept in a Christmas show and also that it resists all of the temptation that I'm sure everyone writing it must have to be like you could get this shit so fucking saccharine in like .0 seconds. And they bit their tongues, and they kept it. They kept it bleak, and they kept it dark. <laughs> <laughs> I will also go classic. I was kind of borderline between classic and socks, and mostly what was holding me back was these cutaways to these other characters that we don't really know or fully understand. Because again, if you're dropping if you're dropping into this episode with no context, I think you can follow the main storyline super easily like you can you can follow it you can be engaged with it it's well written outside of one very weird joke that they threw in there about jew christmas that i did not think was particularly funny and was kind of confused to why they brought it up i think it is it is christmasy it is what john was saying too i think is a very valid point like it is different than a lot of what we watch and yet it is still very relatable and feels like more real than a lot of what we've watched as well. So I, I, I think Christmas classic is a fair assessment for this one. I'd agree. I think it's Christmas classic. There's a lot of Christmas in it that's festive and fun, even though we don't understand why you throw a big party for the neighborhood on Christmas Eve. But I think it's got enough sentiment without being soppy. You know, I think you see two people reminiscing on their marriage and the good times while also coming to terms of where their life is, you know, headed without being bitter about it or really fighting. I mean, the main conflict between Sarah Jessica Parker and Tom Satan Church 
is, um, you know, her not telling her parents that they're divorced just yet. You know, and there's really only one peak of that conflict where the rest of the time they're very civil and they're very much working together for the family. And, you know, when they're driving the car to and from, you very much feel that it's just a conversation that, you know, two people would have, not necessarily two divorced people would have. They're not in the car in awkward silence or just fighting the whole time. It's all it all felt very it still felt like a family. And that's why I like it. And the writing show. Yes. I mean, I, I would I would criticize that they they probably give SJP too many faults. Yeah, because, yeah. Because <laughs> you this episode, like I think you were kind of hinting at it at the beginning that you were worried that maybe like we weren't going to grasp that uh that uh good old Thomas Hayden Church kind of blows. Yeah, but like France, like Francis did a bad thing, and like maybe she was like pushed to doing a bad thing, whatever. But, like, she shouldn't just keep compounding it. It makes her character a little unrelatable and unlikable. Yeah. Again, watch the whole season because it's very good. The one other thing that we didn't mention about this episode that I think uh, deserves uh, just a quick shout-out is uh, besides Thomas Satan Church and Sarah Jessica Parker, as we mentioned, Robert Forrester, Jermaine Clement, Molly Shannon, a lot of a lot of people pop up in this that are great. Uh, and then mm-hmm. behind the scenes as well, uh, Sharon Hogan, uh, who is on Catastrophe. Hogan. I, I'm pretty sure it's Hogan. Is it? Yeah, pretty sure it's Hogan. Sharon Hogan. But there's an R in there. Oh, there is an R in there. I never noticed that before. Sharon Horgan. Hayes Davenport. Tom Sharpling wrote this episode. He voices Greg Universe on Steven Universe, uh, as well as uh, popping up on some other shows and voice acting roles so just a lot of talent just all in on this uh to produce what as we said is a very fine episode of christmas television yeah good job everybody watch it with your spouse don't watch it with your children yes that's that's a good that is a good disclaimer (laughs) (laughs) i'm passing these hosting duties off to john yeah it's john's turn baby i had to relook up what episode my significant other picked because she tried to change it like six times because the backstory is she was working and I was like, okay, well, I'm going to pick the nanny for you. And then she's like, and then she said gossip girl to be just difficult. <laughs> and then has constant and has asked about every week if she could just change it back to the nanny. But no, hmm. no, we're watching gossip girl. It was already in the podcast. <laughs> canon. <laughs> canon. Gossip girl is canon. So we're watching a CW show and going to be sad about it. And you're going to like it, guys. I'm pretty sure I picked It's a Wonderful Lie for Gossip Girl. So that's what we're watching. Season 12. Episode, season 2, episode 12. My God. 12 fucking seasons of Gossip Girl. My God. <laughs> and a reboot now. Yeah. Yes. 12 seasons and a reboot. And we should mention uh, we're watching OG Gossip Girl, not the reboot. Right. Yeah, real gossip girl. How did the reboot already get twelve seasons under it? Yeah. <laughs> Coronavirus. Is it like Scrubs, where they just kind of added on to the end of Scrubs? So are they on season thirteen of Gossip Girl, or is it its whole new thing? Uh, there's not actually twelve seasons, but uh, the my understanding of the current setting of Gossip Girl is that it's batshit batshit insane. <laughs> like the premise is just wild. Like. 
the students are now teachers, and the teachers are the gossip girls. <laughs> so I don't even know what that means, John. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I don't know. I've never watched a Gossip Girl episode. Autumn will watch it sometimes and tell me about it, but that's about it. Gossip Girl. It's a Wonderful Lie. Because I like that title. Beautiful. Boom. All right. Well, cool. join us on Wednesday to see if we continue these ominous December 13th vibes uh, through the course of the week. But I think we shook them off pretty good with this episode. You can watch The Nanny, too, if you want. Autumn <laughs> yeah. would be happy either way. Yeah, that's that's another option. If you can, uh, leave us a rating or a review wherever you listen. That always helps more people find the podcast. Stay subscribed. We got five episodes left after this one. That's it, boys. We're nearing the finish line. So stay tuned because we got some good stuff coming up as we roll right up to christmas eve uh if you like what we're doing if you got some suggestions uh ideas whatever just want to send us a little merry christmas note yuletidetv at gmail.com or uh reach out to us on social media at yuletidetv instagram and twitter great places to find us otherwise until next time we will catch you when we watch more christmas television i've been chris I've been Brian. I am John. Thank you for listening. We're glad you're still alive. Sleigh Bell Sounds provided by Michael Koenig from soundbible.com and Joy to the World provided by freexmasmp3.com.